Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey, everybody, this is Midge, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm so excited that you're here, and I'm so excited that you continue to share and give us comments and log on every week to listen to the show. Today, unfortunately, the guest that I had scheduled for you was not able to make it, and so I earlier had talked to you a little bit about my early years, and today I thought that I would give you a treat and share some of my memoir with you. So I've been working really hard on my memoir, and I have been um, so overwhelmed sometimes with the emotions of all of that, but it is so good to get some of these memories and some of these experiences down on paper. And I, I love the fact that in writing this memoir, not only am I able to go through some of the experiences I've had and deal on them, deal with them on a deeper level, but I have also been able to look deeper at my faith at the, in the different parts of my life and, and how that uh, ambiguity of, of where I thought God was or what I thought God was really made a difference in all the different experiences. And it's, it's exciting to see now looking back that, that the God of my understanding, um, always put people in my path that I needed to have. So even in my, my biggest doubts, my angriest times, um, my most despairing times, um, you know, I think that God shows up for us now, maybe not with burning bushes, but with people who are right there at the right time to help us. So I'm going to read to you a section from one of the chapters called Bring Roddy Home. Now, to give you a little heads up, Roddy is one of our corgis. And um, at the time, uh, this was back in 2019. So he was probably about 11, nine or I'm so bad with numbers, but he was like nine, 10, 11, something like that back then. And, um, and he had not been doing well. He definitely had some problems with uh, digestive issues. He had to have a very special diet. Um, and, and we had finally got him to a stable place, but we had to be super careful with anything that went into his mouth. And um, it was just a big deal. He was just not as well as we would want him to be because he still had to be on some medication. Uh, he had just, um, before this day happened, he had just uh, gotten some medication for uh, some bronchial stuff going on with him. So he had come down with some sinus things. And so um, that's, that's the backstory of that. Um, the other thing that may be important to know before I read this section is that uh, in 2019, uh, in May, um, we had a business that we were working at and that business closed. So, um, we were 
at this point, Sue, my wife had found a part-time job and, um, and I was building the coaching business that I have now. So, um, in the story, because I am protecting, uh, people's names, um, Sue will be named Mary in this story. So if you hear that name, you'll know that, uh, <laughs> that the, you'll know it's my wife, but, um, I just wanted to give you a little heads up that that when this goes to print, um, names will have been changed to protect people's identity and um, and also maybe to prevent me from having any backlash from people not being happy about how they represented themselves to me during this story. <laughs> anyway, okay, so bring Roddy home. One of the worst experiences I have ever lived through was on November 9th of 2019. Two days before that, I had gone up to Corgi Haven Lane to clean the cabin and prepare for the co-creating your life day retreat for a group of women. As I cleaned the cabin one by one, the women who had paid to come called and said they had to cancel. There was just one lady left who hadn't called to cancel. So I reached out to her and told her the situation. Hi, Brenda, this is Midge. I just wanted to let you know that all the other participants have canceled. If you are still able to come, it can be just you and me. Brenda said, oh, no, I don't want you to go to all that trouble just for me. Brenda, I am more than happy to present this information to you. I will be it will be very informal and we will have plenty of time together. I still really want to come. Well, then I will see you in the morning. I am looking forward to it, I said. The next morning, I was excited and disappointed. I was really looking forward to having all those amazing women at the cabin. As I was doing the final preparations, I hadn't heard my phone ring, but then I got an alert that I had a voicemail message. I checked and it was from my wife. I listened to the voicemail and the sounds that Mary was making were sounds I had never heard before. It sent chills up my spine and my breath quickened. Something was dreadfully wrong. I called her back and when she answered, her voice was unintelligible and she was crying. What's wrong? I said, I can't understand you. Mary tried speaking again and all I got was Roddy and I can't find him. Roddy is missing? I screamed. When? What happened? I heard Mary take some deep breath, clear her throat, and was finally able to speak. She said, we were attacked on our walk, and he ran off, and I can't find him. Can you come home? Yes, I said. I'll call the lady that was coming, and I'll be right there. Hang on, honey. I'm coming. We hung up, and now I was in a major panic. How are the other kids dealing with this trauma? Besides our Roddy... We have several other dogs. We have Roddy is, is our red and white Pembroke Welsh Corgi. Mary also had Mona Bell, our black and white Labrador Border Collie mix, and Ella, our brown and black mix of Shepherd, Chow, Sharpe, and American Staffordshire Terrier with her during that walk. I immediately felt guilty that I had not been there for her and that now our boy was missing. My mind was overwhelmed with racing thoughts. What if I can't get Brenda before she leaves? What if Roddy is dead? I still have to drive an hour and 45 minutes. Oh my God, what do I do with all this stuff? I took a deep breath, prayed for Roddy out of desperation. And while waiting for Brenda to answer, I posted a panicked Facebook post. I told the public 
on Facebook and friends and family the little bit that I knew and listed our personal address and said, go to this address now and help us find our boy. I got Brenda on the phone. Brenda, I just heard from my wife that she had our dogs, that she and our dogs were attacked this morning on their morning walk and Roddy ran off. I am so, Brenda interrupted me and said, you go, be safe. It's all right. I felt numb. I didn't know what to do. Then I realized that I couldn't do anything to help until I got home. So I got busy. I flew through the cabin, packing, praying, crying, loaded the truck, and then I took off for home. All the way home, my thoughts were racing. Creator of all that is, you can't do this. Please help find Roddy. Mary won't make it if he doesn't come home. I need him home. Please get him home before I get there. Please, God, please. I'm begging you. One hour and 45 minutes. I won't get there in time. My heart was pounding, and I realized I was not paying attention to driving. I looked at the speedometer, 85 miles per hour. Shit. I can't get a ticket. I thought that will slow me down for sure. And I won't get there. So I set the cruise and felt like I was crawling back to praying. God, please, please don't do this. Please help Roddy and bring Roddy home. All the way home, I unset and set the cruise. It was unbearable to not be there and not know what was going on. The regular speed I had set on the cruise felt like I was crawling and I would turn it off and then realize once again, I was well over the speed limit. I knew if I got pulled over, it would take me longer to get there. So set the cruise again. My phone rang. It was Mary. Hello, honey. Have you found him? I asked. No, Mary said in a flat voice. Come to the McCrary plant. We are all here. Okay. How are you doing? I'm not okay. And Mary started to cry. Honey, I'm coming as fast as I can. It's going to be okay, honey. I'm coming. Thank you. Be careful. I love you. I love you, honey, I said. And I hung up. I turned off the cruise and made it to the McCrary plant in less than one hour and 45 minutes. When I got there, I saw cars lined up on the side of the road and Mary was coming toward my truck. As I pulled in behind another car, I jumped out of the truck and ran to her. Mary was crying. We can't find him. I'm so sorry. I grabbed her and said, it's, it is going to be all right. I am here now. We'll find him. It's not your fault. What happened? Through her tears, Mary told me. We were walking around the block this morning like we always do. It was freezing cold this morning, and all I wanted was to get home and have a cup of hot coffee. So I skipped the last cul-de-sac to go back home. That dog at the blue house came flying out at us as we walked in front of its house. The man just opened the door and let it out. I couldn't stop it. It's not your fault, I said, hugging her again. Did you get bit? Are you okay? I did, but that doesn't matter. If I had taken the cul-de-sac, we wouldn't have been in front of their house. And at that time, it is my fault. I was trying to pull our kids behind me and keep our neighbor's dog away from ours. But this dog grabbed Roddy's leg and I had to let go of our dogs to try and get the mouth off of the neighbor's dog and get it off of Roddy's leg. I screamed for the dog's owner to help me. He finally came over and even he couldn't get his dog's mouth off Roddy's leg. Finally, our neighbor pulled his dog's mouth open and Roddy took off running for home. I saw him go down our driveway and I thought that was good that he was going home. So I turned and said to our neighbor, you know, you're in big trouble. He said, I know. So where did Roddy go? I asked. 
I don't know. If I hadn't said anything to our neighbor, maybe I would have seen where Roddy went after he went down the driveway. But when I got to the house, he wasn't on the porch. I just threw the other kids inside the house and started yelling for him and running through the woods. I couldn't have been more than a minute or two behind him, but I don't know where he went. I saw him. I, I never saw him or heard him. And he wasn't at home on the porch. And now he's just gone. My heart sank. And I said, okay, where do we need to look? Don't you need to go home and unpack? Mary asked. Not while Roddy is missing. Tell me where to look. Mary said, Marty has already tracked from the house to this road. There was blood on the trail and the blood trail ended where the trail ends and the street down here begins. Blood? I thought, oh my God, how much blood? I asked. My voice didn't sound like it was even mine. Many drops, Mary said. There was enough that it was visible on the leaves. I walked down the road with Mary to see where he had come out of the woods. Have you looked across the road? I asked. We were headed there next, Mary said. Well, let's do it, I said. I hadn't thought about hiking through the woods when I left the mountain. I didn't have a thick coat on and I had just put on some slip on shoes. I didn't realize until later that I was freezing and my feet were killing me. We searched back through the woods on the other side of the road, calling out Roddy's name with no response. As evening began to come on, I finally realized how cold I was and we all went back to the house. The house was full of friends who had been searching throughout the day and were waiting to get more instructions and new places to look. Several friends had already thought to post on the internet and Facebook about Roddy and, and put him on some lost dog sites. Others told me about the sites I could post him on, and I made meticulous notes to do that as soon as possible. One dear friend had brought food for everyone and provided comfort and support to us and to all of our friends. She came for several days to keep Mary's mom company. She kept our friends and volunteers fed so we didn't have to think about that. And so they could refuel before going back out to search. When we were given the name of a tracker that was very good, and after calling, he came within the hour with his shepherd. He tracked Roddy in a circle from our porch through the woods and back to our home and then through the woods again and came out to the paved road to the very spot where the trail and the road met. He went up and down both sides and even across the road into the woods on the other side of the road. The tracker said the scent had vanished at the pavement. We all concluded that he could have been picked up by the side of the road and taken in a car. He could have been carried further into the woods by a person who was homeless. He clearly didn't step off the curb or go up or down the side of the road at the end of the trail, according to the tracker. We also had not seen any blood in the woods across the road. Fear crept in. I thought of the number of places Roddy could be and how far away he could be if someone put him in a car. How would we ever find him? I was overwhelmed, emotionally exhausted, and in physical pain from the cold and walking so far without socks or very supportive shoes. When the tracker came up with no leads, we got a referral from another friend for a tracker that had bloodhounds and said he was really good. We called him and he said he could come the next night. I also spent the rest of the night talking with a person on Facebook that posted lost dogs and got her opinion on how to proceed. I found out the basic tips I needed to follow for Roddy to return home were to keep your lights, your outside lights on, 
keep gates open so Roddy could get back in the yard, put the clothes we wore that day outside so Roddy could smell his way back to our scent, put strips of old clothes down the trail to lead Roddy back home, put up signs with a reward on it, contact the local shelters, vet clinics, and rescues in person. I also contacted the vet clinic shelters, rescues, and animal control in surrounding counties and faxed them a picture of Roddy. I put a lost dog ad in the paper and kept it running the whole time. I also contacted a local reporter to see if we could get a story done to highlight Roddy's story and get more people to help. She agreed, and we met for her to interview me. Later, after much discussion with a friend of mine, I started to go fund. I started a GoFundMe page to help pay for all the poster board, printing, tape, zip ties, markers, and the upcoming vet bills that we would have to absorb once he came home. I didn't think anyone would donate for such a thing, but I was wrong. The outpouring of monetary love was such a welcome gift. That night, I kept the front and back porch lights on. I opened the front door so I could see through the glass screen door. The back door was French glass door so I could see out the back. And I positioned my chair to swivel my head back and forth in case he showed up. I was terrified that if I didn't see Roddy right away, he may take back off. It sounds irrational now, but my head at that moment was in overdrive. I stayed up all night watching for him, praying a combination of pleading prayers and angry prayers. Why, God, why are you doing this? Clearly, my journey of reclaiming my faith and my relationship with God was not going great at this point. I posted Roddy's story everywhere on social media. I also started a team of friends that were willing to be called at a moment's notice to get on the ground at any location where I got a, a lead. Suddenly, I got a call and answered, expecting that someone had found Roddy. Actually, it turned out to be some girls Mary worked with who said, we were out in the woods around your house looking for Roddy, just wanted you to know it is us if you see flashlights. I teared up and was so full of gratitude that we were not alone in this very terrifying time. Thank you so much. I said, I really appreciate that. What made matters worse, if they could have been, was that Roddy had a very debilitating digestive illness that required special medication and a special diet. If he ate anything off the approved list, he would start vomiting up blood and have bloody diarrhea. He had already had three separate emergency hospital stays to stabilize him. One incident occurred after a thumbnail-sized chip fell to the floor and Roddy got to it and ate it before we could grab it. I was terrified of what would happen if he was fed the wrong food or ate something in the woods. He could die quickly if he went into an episode and was not able to get the right treatment. Even a well-meaning person who found him and took him in could give him food without knowing it could kill him. My brain would not shut off thinking about the what ifs and all the potential dangers. I envisioned him outside cold, crying for us and in pain. It had only been a day. <laughs> I was already a wreck. In the morning, I posted my first Facebook Live telling people Roddy's situation and requesting that people meet at whatever location I was going to be that day to put up signs and go on foot calling and looking for him. I also encouraged people to share my live and stay tuned for updated information. It was my hope that this online community could spread the word about Roddy far quicker than I could knock on every door in the city. If he had been picked up and driven to another city or location, a broader audience could get eyes on him without me even knowing to look in that area. 
the next night, the new tracker came. He came out with his bloodhound and a young bloodhound he was training. It had rained, but he still felt confident that they would pick up the scent. He gave him an old, we gave him an old collar that Roddy had used and he took off. He hadn't gone very far when he returned and said he had been, that he had, it had been a mistake to bring the young one and asked if he could put her, his other bloodhound in our fence. He also asked for something else to use for scent because he had dropped Roddy's collar and couldn't find it. What? I was so mad. <laughs> Needless to say, he spent about an hour and didn't find Roddy or pick up any leads. He came back the next night with some friends, which was a total bust. Every morning, my routine after that was the same. I would post the morning Facebook live update on my Bring Home Roddy segment. Following that, I would grab posters, zip ties, tape, the go bag with some Roddy food, water, half the reward money, and extra supplies, and hit the woods or the streets and look for our boy. There were times I was by myself, and there were times when Mary wasn't working, and we would go out together or split up and drive to separate locations so we could cover more ground. All through these times, friends and strangers were out looking for Roddy. We were called by people who just wanted us to know that they were praying for us. And many people told us they took the long way to or from work and looked for Roddy on their way. The Bring Roddy Home community was growing and donations started to pour into the GoFundMe page. I was overwhelmed with how Roddy's story effect, affected and resonated people with people and how willing people were to help. My Facebook page started getting more friend requests, even from a person in New Brunswick, Canada. I accepted all requests without question because I noticed that Roddy was the reason for this new explosion of new friends. One person in particular was my godsend. I had just started leaning back into going to church. I had found an Episcopal church in town that knew that God's love accepted me as I was and being gay and would not send me to hell. I started attending Wednesday healing services and met a woman named Jan. Jan loved dogs as much as I did. Our priest dog, Casey, who basically is his sister, was always at church and would roam in between the pews and get petted by the congregation. I think Casey knew how difficult it was for me to be there, and I always sat on the back pew because I never knew how long I could stay. I still had a lot of religious trauma to unpack, and being back inside the building was very hard for me. Casey would often come and sit next to me during the service. Petting her calmed my nerves and gave me something to do instead of focusing on my fears of being back in, church, in a church setting. Petting her also calmed me enough to be able to hear whatever the priest was saying. When Roddy went missing and I didn't show up at the healing service, my earth angel, Jan, called me and asked if she could help. From the first moment she came to help, she was with me every day. She was by my side, walking through the creeks, thick brambles, rain, freezing weather, hot weather, and on hard pavement. She was relentless. <laughs> she would drive to all sorts of, we would drive to all sorts of locations and canvas the neighborhoods door to door, knocking on doors and listening for a dog bark to see if I could identify it. There were times that I would say, you need to go home and introduce yourself to your family. Jan would say, I do that every night. One day I said, you know, this is Sunday. I bet Father Joe is wondering where you have been. Jan replied, Father Joe would approve. He also says that the building is not the church. 
how we serve each other is the church. I was blown away. Not only was she there to support me through the long days when it was just me and Jan canvassing and putting up signs, she was also there to hear me railing against God and hearing my anger about the God that would condemn gay people to hell. In a, way, in a way, we were in church every day. She never wavered in her support of me and in her support of her faith and her understanding of my anger. There were also times that Father Joe met me um, and, and kind of let me just emote out all of my fears. I asked him if there were any saints we could pray to for help finding Roddy, and he was always quick to give me inf information without any judgment. When I asked about how to get God to answer my prayers, Father Joe very seriously said, God is not a vending machine. Well, then what is prayer for? I asked sharply. If I can't get what I need, then what is the point? Very patiently, Father Joe said, and I am paraphrasing from memory, so apologize to Father Joe if I've missed the mark. So Father Joe patiently said, prayer is for you to tell God what you are feeling and to let him know what is in your heart. It is about building a relationship. Prayer is a conversation and not just a source of getting what you want. Even if you have no words, your tears are a prayer. God hears and wants you to tell him what is in your heart. Telling God your needs is opening the door to that relationship. I hated that answer. I am praying, I said to Father Joe a bit defiantly, but I am pretty angry at God. I just want God to bring Roddy home. That's okay. God can take it. Well, that would be good, but I don't know how my relationship with God will look if Roddy doesn't come home. Father Joe, with a very kind and understanding face, said, I hope it becomes even stronger, knowing that God cares deeply, very deeply about the pain you are in and the feelings you have right now. Just keep praying. Even if you don't have the words, our tears are our prayers when we don't have the words. Okay. I did keep praying. I prayed every day, all through the day. As I confessed to Father Joe, sometimes I pleaded, sometimes I cursed, and sometimes I just cried. So that journey that I had, and there's more to that story. So hopefully in 2022, the book will be ready for print and you can hear the rest of it. Some of you know the ending, but um, I wanted to give you a tidbit of that and then talk to you about the grace that I felt through that period of time through Father Joe and also through Jan and, and all the calls and messages we got through the entire time that, that we were struggling because my faith had gone from total belief as a child. I mean, I believed hook, line and sinker in the beginning that, that there had to be a God because that's what I was being taught, but I still couldn't put my head around how God got here. You know, you've, you may have heard the story if you've listened to the podcast before that, you know, I was like five-ish when my brother was born. And, and I asked my grandfather who was a minister, well, who made God? Because if my mama made my brother <laughs> from my understanding, that's what was happening. Then God has to have a mama. God has to have a daddy. So where is, where did God come from? Who made him? And my grandfather told me to go to bed. Apparently he didn't know. 
as I've grown up, I've learned that nobody really knows. <laughs> He's just always been here, which freaks me out. But, you know, in my heart of hearts, in my soul, in defense of my own faith, I really don't believe that rocks colliding together could create an intricately made human in how amazing we are and how everything works just, you know, magically almost. I mean, it's like there's no way. I don't think that everything can be put into place the way it is on earth or within our own amazing bodies by, by rocks clacking together. I do believe there is a divine knowledge, a divine entity. Um, and I was always taught that it was God. Um, I don't think God really cares what we believe he or she is. I, I just believe that God is ready to have relationships with us and God is ready for us to love each other. I think that that one of the other miracles is what happens inside of us when we surrender the fears and the doubts and the anger to God and just allow. It's a surrendering and, a, and allowing for me that I surrender um, and I am in the process of surrendering. It's like not a done deal. I just continue to process this and to grow and to, to lean in. And, and I'm, I really believe that God was with me during those prayers. I believe that the Holy Spirit was guiding my feet. I believe that, that we were being brought people like Jan and all the other amazing friends we have that ministered to us. We had friends that brought us supper because they knew we weren't eating. They just showed up at our house or they'd call and say, we're bringing supper. What do you want? And we'll, we'd say, we're not really hungry. Well, we're going to bring you food. Do you want to choose what you're going to eat? <laughs> I mean, they, they were so, so loving and kind and have always been supportive of us when we needed help or we needed something. And since that time, um, you know, we, we have continued relationships with people we didn't know very well, but this brought us closer to many other people that were not in our inner circle at the time that Roddy went missing. Um, the ongoing days of that, the, the not knowing was my biggest fear that what if I never knew the end of the story? Could I survive it? You know, what, what's going to happen to me? And, and there were many clients that worried about that too. I mean, <laughs> there were people that I was, I was still seeing some, some had decided that, you know, they, they would just take a break and from the coaching and they would just take a break during this because they didn't want to interrupt what I needed to do for Roddy, but some stayed with me and, and they were grateful to be a support to me as, as much as they felt supported by me. So was I, when I was able to zero in on a session with someone, that was actually possible because I do believe that I, was, I am called to do that work. And when you're called to do work and you sit down to do that work, I do believe that you, you are given the focus that you need to help the person that's in front of you. And so I was able, even in my distraction and even in my distress, and even when I really was feeling broken, um, I was able to be helpful. <laughs> and, um, and I know that because I was told that by people. Um, I didn't think I was necessarily helping, but I was assured that I had. And so that was a, also a, a very sweet message is that even in our brokenness, we, we are useful 
we're always useful. So when I, when I didn't feel worthy, I was still helping people. When I couldn't love myself, I was still giving love to people. Probably not at the capacity that I can love people now. Um, I do believe when we don't love ourselves and we include ourselves in that love, you know, you love God, you love others, you love yourself. Um, but when we don't love ourselves, I think it does taint how much we can extend ourselves sometimes. Um, but it, it it all comes from a place, a source that is greater than me. And I know that for sure, that when I'm in sessions and even when I was doing therapy, you know, I didn't follow a, a specific model in therapy. I, I used to tell people jokingly, but I do believe it's true uh, that I was a back pocket counselor <laughs> and, and things would just come out of my back pocket. Basically, I would say things that I wasn't intending to say necessarily, but it always landed right where it needed to land. And I believe that was a divine intervention and download that came through me and, and to the person that needed it the most. And so even though I didn't believe that God was there, um, you know, I, I, I think God has always been there. And when I end the podcast, I always say, you know, that, you know, if you are authentically gay, God's always been within you, even when you didn't know it. And goodness, that, that is so true. I mean, I, I do believe that God has always been guiding and supporting me through everything I've been through. And I didn't always know it. And I didn't always feel it. You know, that's why a knowing for me is different than always. Yeah, I would love to have a visceral feeling that I could just like feel it all the time. I don't know if that's possible. I always wanted the burning bush, you know, or that one commercial that shows the lit up line, the path of your financial security. You know, I would love to have something so tangibly, you know, that my eyes could see it, my heart could feel it all the time. But I think then faith is useless if you always see things. So I'm finding um, grace in the in the in the doubts and and in the the negative stuff. And I'm also feeling that faith gets uh, deeper when the struggle is real and we do come away from things usually a whole lot stronger. And I appreciated, you know, Father Joe giving that that message or the way I heard the message, whatever he might've said specifically, some of it I remember, but you know, maybe not all of that, but I do, I did get the feeling um, when I thought back about that time that he was absolutely believing that whatever trial I was going through, that it had the great potential to strengthen my relationship with God. Um, so with the gay with God podcast, you know, i I love the fact that we talk about these faith journeys and how people come through really dark times and get through the other side of that. And in my memoir, I want people to see my struggle. Uh, some people, you know, can look at someone else and think, oh my gosh, they're always so happy or they've always got it all together. And, you know, we found out with Robin Williams, bless his heart, that, you know, he always made us laugh. And, Yet he was so depressed and so hurt and, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't finish because it was too hard. And his depression was so difficult to deal with. And we wouldn't have known that looking at him and how he, how he managed his life 
Now, I always did feel like that there were times that he was just so over the top. And there was a piece of me that just intuitively thought, you know, he was overcompensating, but I didn't know his story. So, I, you know, I, I didn't want to make any judgments, but I just had an intuition that he was probably not as happy as he always put his, put it out there. And some of us aren't, you know, some of us are really, really good at covering up the, the demons that may live within us from time to time. So this podcast and this memoir, I really want to reach the people who know that they're struggling and don't know how to get to the other side and maybe contemplating suicide. I want to be able to, to show that light that there is, there is more and that we are not done. The, the, the story is not over. You know, Rod, whether Roddy, you know, came home or didn't come home, I, I needed to find a place where that would not break me and that I would be able to continue to do the work I was put here to do through that trauma. And that's all I can ask is that I will continue to be useful and that my words can land exactly where they need to land for the people who need to hear it. So I want to thank you for listening to my Bring Roddy Home uh, segment. And there may be more uh, times that I'll read some from my upcoming memoir to give you a little taste and also to fill some time <laughs> when a guest may not be here. So just so you know, I'm still looking for guests for the show. Um, we had lots of people signing up and everything, um, you know, was ahead of schedule. And then with the, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays and, and everything kind of slowed down. So there are spots open if you would like to be a guest for the show. And i I really encourage you to do it because the people who have come on the show tell me afterwards that it helped them just as much as they hope to help somebody else, that they got something deeper for themselves just by telling their story. And even if your story is not a story of, you know, coming from something negative and being 100% sure about your relationship with God, that's the whole point. <laughs> we don't have to be sure. If you do have a great relationship with God now, that is awesome. And we want to hear that story too. Like me, you may be still struggling. You may have turned away from God and still don't know how to get back. You may not want to get back to a God of your understanding. That story is relevant too. So whatever your coming out faith journey story is, wherever it started, if you never believed, you still don't believe, but this is how you came out and this is how it affected your life. And this is where you are now. All of it's relevant, my friends, and it gives us visibility and validity in our community. And, and I think to the world, you know, once people started coming out and showing their, their selves to the public, you know, we, we have come and grown leaps and bounds in our community because we were brave enough to put ourselves out there. Now, I don't want you to get fired by coming on my show. I don't want you to be in danger or peril. So if there, if there is a way that you need to change your name for the podcast, but you still want to tell your story, we can do that. But, you know, if you are, if you are someone that can tell your coming out faith journey story and you're willing to do that, please, please uh, go to the um, Gay With God show page 
at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. And if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you'll see some news and some updates and some links. One of those links is a Calendly scheduling link, and you can uh, schedule your taping uh, to be a guest on the show. And there are spots available coming up next week and all throughout 2022. So please sign up so we can keep doing this show. And um, I, will, I will read tidbits from time to time and, and take a break from guests to, to give you a little bit more of a nugget. But please, uh, if you can sign up, please do that. So thank you so much. Again, go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com and sign up to be a guest and to see some of the other the guests that we've had if you've not listened to all the shows you know catch up and let's get ready for 2022 if you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with god if you are authentically gay well then you have already had god within you even when you didn't know it you have always been gay with god Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the Gay With God community and check out the Facebook group, Gay With God. See you next week. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.